0: The one who has the power to give, won't he have the power to know? We are waiting for God to make things happen, but maybe God is waiting for us to perform our action, our karma. Welcome to the podcast, Karma is Supreme. Dr. Neil Klein is an associate professor of psychology and has been teaching at Lesley University in Cambridge for the past 45 years. He is teaching classes in cutting edge psychology, counselling, holistic health and wellness and cross-cultural psychology. He is author of a new operating manual for being human. He is also the author of Me, Myself and Mindfulness – The Arithmetic of Consciousness. In both his website, Trans Ending Times and YouTube channel with the same name, Neil provides his audience with digestible stories that focuses on cutting-edge psychology as well as the necessary practical skills to put this work into action. Dr. Neil Klein is also a member of the steering committee for AAP, Association for Advancement of Psychosynthesis, and has recently been published with them. Dr. Neil, how are you?
1: Nice to meet you. And 11 is my favorite number. So the fact that this is 11-11, November the 11th, and it is 11-11 in the morning, is a very special moment for me. So glad to be sharing it with you.
0: Yeah, this podcast is going to be listened to by a billion people now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. The more the merrier.
0: (laughs) I was very excited for this podcast because I feel like you are a professor of psychology. And I'm a professor of spirituality. (laughs) I have studied uh, and practiced, you know, expanding my consciousness for like 29 years or more. And when I was listening to your work, your videos, so everything sort of connected. And I felt like, oh, science and spirituality are coming together now. (laughs) And this was like, I was feeling this is going to be real fun. So uh, what do you think, what percentage of psychologists are really open to spirituality, to the spiritual realm, by the way?
1: I think it's growing slowly, but I think it's growing steadily. Um, The dilemma is going back to the history of psychology way back in the day. It began with with Freud and Jung and Jelly and others as medical doctors kind of going, let's assume that the mind can have an effect on the body. Mm -hmm. Leaves out the spirit, totally. Leaves out spirituality, vibrations, energy, totally. And at least in this country, the United States of America, and I think around much of the world, leaving out spiritual, separating spirituality from psychology has been the norm forever. The good news at the moment is, and you know this already, which is finally, if we look at ancient sages, They've been talking about that forever. If we look at quantum physics, which is the new God and goddess in the universe these days in the world of science, that's talking about that completely. And then you bring in cutting edge psychology, where more and more experiments are being done with mindfulness and meditation and looking at whether our personality and ego is our only grounding point or where we need to live our entire lives from. These three waves are all moving in the same direction finally. And I am thrilled.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's nice. So, um, you know what, when when I was like uh, listening to a lot of um, videos related to psychology, specifically concerning the consciousness, okay, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I personally felt, don't mind, but I personally felt that um, if we go the science way, Mm -hmm. to explore about the soul Mm -hmm. then it's probably going to take at least at least a hundred years to reach the understanding of consciousness that the mystics have already given by way of spirituality
1: Mm
0: -hmm. and like that was my personal understanding because when I was Uh, doing a lot of practices to expand my consciousness and the output that I've got out of it, you know, today I am at a very dangerous level of expanded consciousness and I'm very happy about it. Mm -hmm. I don't feel proud because I feel that every human being can reach there. There's nobody is like superior or inferior in, in those terms. But it's just that people don't know that they can evolve this way, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more. Um, couldn't agree more. My, my newest article printed is literally called Our Call as a Species. And it was published in the um, a, a group, the, the, the psychological group that I'm, a, a huge part of is called Psychosynthesis. And the originator was a contemporary of Freud, Roberto Astageli from Italy. And his work included spirituality from the very beginning, back in the late 1800s and 1900s. He and Jung had a falling out with Freud because Freud didn't want to go there and acid and Jung did. My newest article, clearly our cause of species says, if we don't bring the mystical and spiritual back into our development of children and into our understanding of health and healing, it may be more than 100 years before we... Uh, before science catches up to where we're going um, and i can go into that in detail if you'd like but the concept is the concept and we agree on that which is spirituality mysticism or the right hemisphere of our distinctly human brain needs to be included in our understanding of the world and currently our left hemisphere of our distinctly human brain one of two hemispheres explains why the world is the way it is perfectly and mm-hmm. if you bring in the right hemisphere you realize the the connection or the marriage that's needed between both hemispheres in order to have a healthy world. And the right hemisphere is more about intuition, relationships, um, hunches, where the left hemisphere is more about cognitive, analytical, sequential consciousness. And I think that when we're looking at consciousness, we need to include both of those dimensions Mm -hmm. if we really want to understand scientifically what's going on, Although as you suggested, the mystics, particularly in your part of the world, knew about this and still know about this in a way that the world is silly not to follow and just balance that immense understanding of our inner nature and consciousness.
0: I actually um, feel that, I, I don't know why so many psychologists or scientists are not accepting the fact that, you know, um, or, or accepting that, you know, why not explore spirituality too and maybe use some of the points for their own research rather than, you know, uh, thinking against this is not right without exploring it? You know, what if spirituality actually helps in their scientific research and helps in the technological progress? You know, now psychology yeah. is, is like it's all about, you know, studying the behavior and the mind, but. We human beings are actually made of mind, body, and soul. I I guess that you you call soul as inner essence in your work, right? Is that right?
1: I do only, I use the word soul also, but with many students and people that I talk to, if I bring in the word soul, the various opinions about what that means with religion and science and just normal folks speaking, the conversation ends there. And my intention is I want to make sure that people understand as human beings, we have a body, a mind, and a spirit, and a soul, and an inner nature, and a sense of being. And I don't care what people call that, but I want that to be acknowledged in the study of psychology. So I love the word soul. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So I was wondering that why so many scientists are not accepting this thing or not exploring this dimension. It could help them, actually.
1: And I'm going to take that a step further. I don't understand how science can ever com- understand human nature and who we are without bringing in the most important element of our being, which is spirit or soul, or inner essence. I think it's, 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 it's a missing piece that is severely limiting what we can do as scientists. Yeah. And I don't understand either why so many people in this professing go that way. I do have two thoughts though. One thought is if we go back to the 1950s in United States of America, which, which psychology as, as, a, as a discipline began in Europe back in the late 1980s and moved to America as a forefront of practitioners of, of psychology, which, which omits all the ancient wisdom, unfortunately, Um, narrow sightedness there, but if we go back there in the 1950s when psychology was still trying to be understood by the bulk of the people in this country, the world of science and chemistry and healing for medical purposes and creating plastics and stuff like that, the world of science became almost the god and goddess of the American people from the 1950s to the 1970s. And the field of psychology, instead of saying we're an art and a science, we're a science and an art, which i love said we need to be scientific so that we are more honored and respected by the culture and therefore they only studied behavior when i was an undergraduate in school i had to run rats through mazes, rats through mazes and pigeons pecking at posts and i would oftentimes ask questions about how is this going to explain compassion how is this going to understand understanding yeah the, chairperson of the division where i was studying psychology pleaded with me to become a religion major because he kept saying what you're trying to study is not part of the world of psychology and my mouth which always gets me into trouble and saves me said it will be in the world of psychology when you're retired and i'm a psychology professor Uh, i'm sorry (laughs) you missed that trend um but i think it's
0: definitely not a part of religion
1: (laughs) no it's definitely not a part of religion which is equally sad
0: today religion is all hate we all know that (laughs)
1: We know that more people have been killed by religious humans than any other reason on the planet. How sad is that? Yeah. The the other silly thing about the world of psychology is in America, we probably have, I'm going to estimate 3000 universities and they probably each graduate at least 50 psych majors every year, if not a hundred of them. So that means between how many tens of thousands of people are graduating every year, a traditional psychology major originally formed for research and research only. And the spectrum was from some degree of illness to some degree of normalcy. That's still the case in 99.9% of American, um, United States of America in psychological studies. The dilemma is the spectrum goes from some degree of normalcy to some degree of health and healing. And that's not included in t- typical psychology majors whatsoever. Where I teach at Lesley University in Cambridge, Massachusetts, we've got numerous psych majors—five of them, really—and we do include from some degree of illness to all the way on the spectrum to some degree of health and healing, which brings in spirituality. Mm-hmm. If you're only looking at some degree of illness to some degree of normalcy, we ought to bring in spirituality, but the, the, but but all the people that are being trained are not learning that at all. So it's so a future generation of people missing the power of spirituality and psychology joining hands.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and are you including the mystical experiences in the whole study thing?
1: Always. No. Um, it,
0: <laughs> of course always. not, right now.
1: Always, how, how do you, I don't understand how you study psychology without including mysticism slash spirituality. Mm-hmm. It seems to me a, a loss, it's like trying to do painting without, without, with, with, without any colors.
0: But I think that mystical experience is not uh, everybody would be open to that unless and until they have themselves had a certain degree of experience. You know, a person just doesn't believe in all these things. They think that it is a story or an imagination unless he himself experiences something like
1: that. And what a beautiful setup for my answer. So, thank you very much for saying that. So, here goes <laughs> in the first video which has ever experience a mystical, spiritual moment. I'm messing up the title, but it's clearly the right concept. In fact, the right title would be, cause I might as well get it accurate. Ever
0: Never wonder have... if you have a mystical experience.
1: Thank you very much. Um, the beginning part of that talks about the spectrum of mystical, spiritual experiences. And most people think if they haven't seen a burning bush or been spoken to by God, or have 10 commandments, they've never had a mystical experience. And the beginning of that video talks about there are three levels of that. At the most basic level, it's having a poignant moment. And a poignant moment basically goes, I'm looking at the sunset, I'm hugging a baby, I'm listening to birds chirping, I'm enjoying my tea in the morning. That to some extent that's having the human being expanding their identity beyond their skin at that moment in time. And as soon as we have those moments where my sense of self and identity is not limited to my defense mechanisms and coping strategies and my armor, and I begin to make little porous holes so that I go beyond myself, those would be beginning moments of mystical spiritual experiences, which then means instead of people going, no one's had this, 100% of the people have had that. And then the question of had you had after that, the more intense mystical experiences, the middle one is called a peak experience, which is basically, I'm sure most people have had this, but have you ever just watched the sunset or for me sat at the ocean? And when you're looking at the sun moving and hearing the waves for probably three or four or five minutes, I don't care who I am. I have no sense of identity. I am part of the entire environment with the waves, with the sun. And at that point in time, when people have that, they tend to question who I am and do I make, want to make any changes? And then the and most intense part of a spiritual moment is really having what people call mystical experiences and the sad thing is in my culture here in the United States of America if someone's having a mystical experience experience more often than not people question their sanity and and health where if you go back to indigenous cultures and asian cultures it would be it would be a, when we were in india last what we were told was with the extended family, if there was not one member of an extended family who normally had mystical spiritual experiences, the whole family would wonder what they did wrong.
0: So <laughs> it's
1: sense of that in this country where psychology is 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 housed, is sad and explains a whole bunch. I loved your laughter, thank you though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> so, so actually, uh, you know what? I was connecting some dots here when you're talking about the experiences in one of your uh, videos, you mentioned about that, you know, Watson and Skinner, they tell us that we are a blank slate tabula rasa at the time of birth, and we Mm -hmm. have no inner nature and we become the traits and characteristics that external forces reinforce. Mm -hmm. Now, I used to believe in that when When I was told during my studies, I was doing teacher training. We studied psychology also at that time. And we studied Skinner and Fruit and all. And I believed uh, to a certain extent. But when I started analyzing my spiritual journey, now this could be a fewer percentage of people. Okay. When I started analyzing my spiritual journey, what I see is that there were certain thoughts and an inner nature that I had. And That did not come from my parents, that did not come from my teachers, from my friends. And I had this inner quest in me to know more about my existence in this universe. And this was when I was three, five years old, so young. Nobody told me about this. And now, how was that? You know, how were these questions already in me when I was? I guess I personally believe that I was not a blank slate. And today, when I look at the newborns in our world today, one to four-year-olds in 2022, I can assure you one thing that there are thousands of newborns today that are actually uh, born with an already an expanded level of awareness. In today's age, they have a certain level of, uh, you know, understanding already, a certain wisdom. So I personally believe that, you know, um, not everybody is actually a blank slate. Some people are coming with that level of certain level of awareness, maybe in a specific uh, area for, for somebody and maybe in another area for somebody else.
1: Again, I couldn't agree more. When In the video, when I talked about that, that wasn't me saying that. That Those are the behaviors from 1950 to 1975 saying that, which is scientifically, if they believe that we were a blank slate, what that means is then everything externally conditioned our behaviors and who we became. Because everything externally conditioned our behaviors, they would then be able to scientifically study our behaviors. I'm with you wholeheartedly, which is, I think every human being begins with an inner nature that's been formed by 200,000 years, if not millions of years of evolution. Mm -hmm. And we are born with a sense of knowing, with a sense of what our needs are, with a sense of when our needs are fulfilled and when we have to struggle to get our needs fulfilled And I think that even though the world that we grow in and the culture that we grow up in has a large effect on how we meet our needs, how we feel about ourselves and how we honor our inner nature and live by that or govern by that or teach by that or raise children by that can have a negative or positive effect. And unfortunately, I don't think we, I think we have a culture that's verging on toxic at the moment and has been for at least 10,000 years because the culture is based on the, the goddess of, of, of money, as opposed to the god and goddess of health and healing and inner nature. And I think what we need to do as a species is make that huge shift one by one, couple by couple, town by town, because we have an inner nature that leads us to health and healing. The good news is having studied this for 50 years, I've got a wealth of 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 well-known psychologists in the field of psychology who scientifically and in their own writings will say exactly what we are saying. And I think for the next generation or two in the world, these concepts will become the norm as Mm -hmm. opposed to the the outdated norm, meaning because they were dated back with ancient traditions always. The question's always gonna be, can we shift from capitalism being God and goddess to health and healing being God and goddess. Can we shift from countries being fighting with each other to humans being supporting one another, which in tribes for up until 10,000 years ago, that was the norm. Humans wouldn't have existed ever speaking in tribes if you we weren't having some shared common goals and supporting each other and laughing a lot more. But these days, given what's going on, none of that, this doesn't seem to be time for any of that. And and everyone is on drugs and everyone is is anxious and everyone is suffering or almost everyone. And our human nature isn't being nourished. My favorite phrase in psych classes that all the students know is when conditions are ripe, which I can also say when conditions are right. When conditions are ripe, either when someone's growing up with a friend, with a class, we act in a way that we are prouder of. And are more compassionate and kind with who we are and what we're doing when conditions aren't right and needs aren't being met and we are struggling to be heard. We defend ourselves and cope in juvenile ways as we learned as children to get by, but have it matured into our grown-up selves because they become unconscious, subconscious, and habitual, and we just relive that program again and again and again neuroplasticity means at any age we can reconnect the, the, the connections in our brain. We can do that. We just don't make that something that people are studying and learn how to do that. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense to you? I'm sure it does.
0: <laughs> A bit. <laughs> so um, tell me something about transpersonal psychology.
1: My favorite place to live these days. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go back to the 1950s to mid-1970s. Behaviorism was the ruling philosophy for psychology in the United States of America. Mm -hmm. Back when I was an undergraduate in the late 1960s and early 1970s, there were two groups that began. One was the Association for Humanistic Psychology. And they basically were saying, um, we need to bring humans back into our studying of psychology, not just rats and pigeons and animals. And secondly, we need to explore the wholeness of our human nature not just looking at behavior but bringing in mind body and spirit looking in things like intuition compassion um desperate means of trying to make our get our needs met okay so that was one of them the other one was the association for transpersonal psychology both of which in the 1970s became divisions of the apa the american psychological association so so transpersonal psychology as a legitimate member of the American Psychological Association has been around since the early 1970s, which is 50 years.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's
1: its beginning in this country, okay? Um, the essence of transpersonal psychology is, I'm gonna take about five minutes to explain this, if this is okay with you. My newest video, which I think may be the most useful one for the general public, is ever wonder how to pick the right therapy and therapist. And as a psychology professor for 40 plus years, the the question I've been most asked by students is, because I teach counseling classes as well as psychology classes, the difference being a counseling class has has a skillful part of it always, because it's not just theoretical. And psychology courses could be theoretical or could also have an applied practical dimension as well, but do not need to. Psychology courses can be just informational. Counseling courses need to be transformational if they're gonna succeed, as as do psych classes as far as I'm concerned. It's not just gathering information, it's gathering information that's then affecting who, how you behave, how you think, how you feel. Transpersonal psychology, no, let me backtrack for a second. In the in, in how to paint a mobile, how to pick the right therapy, which is the harder question. I go back to the work of Wilbur and Wilbur was known as the, um, do I have his book right in front of me? I do. Ken Wilbur, the book is called No Boundary, which came out probably in the 1980s or 70s. He's been, for many people, known as, in my lifetime, the most honored theoretical psychologist that's alive still, okay? And in No Boundary, which is one of his beginning books, he talks about the three maps of therapy that I talk about in my video and I, I give him credit for all the work, but his work is very academic and tricky for most humans to understand. And my dream is my video is easier for most humans to watch because it's a a, a a watching culture and to understand. And Your videos
0: it. were wonderful. I mean, they were just so, you know, you're just uh, you stuck to watching that. You won't switch to any other video. They are really good. Well-made.
1: Thank you. The dream is to make... In every class, I say to every student, if you really can understand what I'm saying, you ought to be able to explain this to an 11-year-old. Again, my favorite number is 11. You ought to be able to explain this to an 11-year-old. And in every class, there's a teaching assignment. And they just have to take one of those videos and try and teach it to someone from 11 to 80 and then talk about how they were able to teach this assignment to somebody else. And I think if I'm going to really learn something, I've got to teach it because then I've got to break it down, try it a couple of times, see what's working, see what's not working. But the video is meant to be for the general public where most psychologists talk to other academics. And my videos are all for anyone just to understand these foundational concepts as far as I'm concerned. So thank you so, so much for saying that. Most therapies look at the mind and the mind, the persona and the shadow. And you may know about this, but I don't think most humans do. The persona is my public face. Who am I presenting to everyone? Who am I, what parts of my personality am I proud of? The shadow is all the stuff that I'm burying deep in the, the shadow or basement of my personality that I don't want people to know, okay? Mm-hmm. It just scares me. And I think most forms of therapy is focusing on, are focusing on, can I help a human being take some of the shadow, the stuff they're burying and bring it to awareness? So it lives in the persona. So the person is having less conflict between the stuff that the body knows because it's the shadows, the body knows about that. But the mind's kind of going, not now, not now. This person won't love me if they knew that about me. I'll lose his job if I say this out loud. And I think the balance for most types of therapy is taking part of the shadow and bringing the light so close to our persona, it becomes more public. And that's the first map. Mm-hmm. The second map is even if you're doing that we're still missing the body. And bringing in the body these days is called somatic psychology. It's been around for probably 20 or 30 years. And all the research on trauma is are, is screaming, saying, you can't talk out trauma. You can't talk out traumatic moments. It's in your body. You need to, and just yeah. to work in your mind, you need to have your body get rid of, omit, let some of that stuff flow through it at the same time. So right. the next is, um, and my, my favorite example of this in, in the video is the, the silly one, is you ever have a moment where you're so engaged that all of a sudden you go, God, I'm so hungry. I'm famished, what happened to that? The body's been probably going knock, 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 consciousness, we're hungry, we're hungry, we're hungry, and the mind's going, nah, leave me alone, we're not hungry enough yet, I'm, I'm so engaged. The extreme in my life, which is also in the newest video, and I love this story, maybe 30 years ago, I was living with a group of, of humans, and there was one woman, an intelligent, attractive woman, probably in her 30s, that for a year hadn't been in a relationship and it was making her nuts. She was like, what's wrong with me? I'm pretty enough, I'm intelligent enough. Why is it that it's been over a year and I'm not in a relationship? One night she didn't come home. When she walked in the next morning, her whole left side was walking like she had been paralyzed or had a stroke, but there was a huge smile on her face. So looking at her walk in the door, it's kind of like, what's up? And when she started talking, she said, I was in a car with this guy last night, kissing all night long. It was the happiest night of my life. Her whole left side of her body was not moving yet. And we're all going, um, imagine where I'm going is, All night long, this part of your body's kind of going, need blood, need blood. We really need blood. We really need blood. Mm -hmm. Get him off for a minute. And the mind's going, I may lose an arm. I may Mm -hmm. lose a leg, but my mind's going, this kissing and this connection is so important that body, shush. So bringing in the body's messages to the mind is the second map, which is kind of more holistic. And where the feelings live in the body, the mind can omit the feelings, in, on a body level, the word um, the word motion and emotion sound alike because they are like one's feelings and one's movement physiologically. But then the third map gets into transpersonal psychology. Going back to your question. If my identity ends with my body, and I think most humans would kind of go either my identity stops with my mind or my identity stops with my body. Something outside my body isn't me, it's the other, which is a made up boundary. Because energetically, with the world of vibrations, we know that if someone walks in a room that we know and they're having a bad day or a good day, everyone else in that room will experience those vibrations.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Vibrations walk in the room before the body does. So transpersonal psychology is saying, if you're looking at your boundary with your identity of stopping with your body, you're missing the fact that human beings energy, spirit, vibration is interactive among human beings and among all life on this planet and everywhere. So transpersonal is looking at not our development as individual human beings, but our development transpersonally among all life on the planet, or at least other humans on the planet. And my favorite image for that is, I love the ocean and I love watching waves. Imagine a wave without the ocean You can't have a wave without the ocean. Waves as individual waves exist only because the amazing space of the entire ocean. That's true for stars, for for, for any, every other material thing on the planet. That's true for, although humans these days.
0: Now you're talking in spiritual terms.
1: (laughs) The transpersonal psychology is the the combination of spirit and psychology. And mm. it's been around for 50 years and more and more and more that's coming to be the norm. And I am speaking into spiritual terms, which, which is where I pray and hope psychology is going. Because how do you how do you try and scientifically understand a wave by separating it from the ocean? Yeah. As silly as it sounds, that's what we're doing individually with psychology if we don't include the entire ocean in spirituality.